My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. The first time I got a an actual proper job or an offer of a proper job, I actually asked my mum and my dad uh, for what they thought. I'm not sure they necessarily knew what it was, bless them, but they definitely gave their, uh, you know, unswerving support. Uh, you know, a lot of people do ask their parents for advice on, you know, life and, you know, their life choices. And and that's uh, definitely true of our guest today, Charlie Dan Jones. Charlie's mom once delivered a line so precise and so withering, it made him change careers. Charlie was an actor, um, an aspiring actor, and by his own admission, wasn't necessarily sure he was that into it. And is now a sort of growing and increasingly successful and blossoming British journalist working for one of the the kind of major news outlets here. And his relationship with his mum is just sounds wonderful and and delicious and lovely and close. And and it's really interesting to explore with him how his mum knows him so well that in her own sort of gentle way, she's guided his kind of career choices and his sense of vocation, who's become today. And that's what we're going to be discussing with Charlie. So Charlie, how do we know each other? Because I feel like I've known you for quite a while, but I've only met you a couple of times. It's one of those sort of like social media friendships. Yeah, we've always sort of known of each other. We've texted each other from time to time. We've been in the same space and the same parties, I think. Yeah. Is it a party? Is it gay dinner? It was gay dinner. That's right. Yeah. So the mutual connection must be Rob Stagg. That will be it. Very yeah. exciting. Okay. He's the mutual friend of everybody. Seemingly so. The head of the gay mafia. Is he? As has often been reported. Do you think there is a gay mafia? Rob Stagg. It's just him. It's, it's Rob Stagg, Ian McKellen. That's them two running it. <laughs> Do you remember, were you there on the night when Ian McKellen came? Yes. And then, I wasn't actually there for this, but people were putting him into a taxi and they were saying, right, get home safe, sorry. And, you know, because it was sort of 2am or something. And, you know, he's not a young man. And no. he, apparently he just screamed, you mad? I'm not going home. It's Shirley Bassey's birthday. <laughs> I don't know if it was Shirley Bassey. Somebody, somebody. It of, probably of that was though. So he, just... he went from the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. From so. a kind of grotty, bring your own dinner to <laughs> Shirley Bassey's <laughs> birthday. To the yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Well, look, you've given me a great segue talking about old people. I'm not suggesting that either of your parents are old, but this is a very sort of tenuous connection. We're obviously here to talk about your mum and specifically how she's influenced the wonderful human being that is Charlie Dan Jones. I would first of all love to know a little bit about her. What's her name? And just paint it as a mental picture. She's called Paula. Poe. She does have a touch of the sort of Poe and Teletubbies. The yeah. Sort of, she's quite small. She's 5'5". Yeah. Five five. She's very tan. I think she's 5'5". Five five. I'm really bad with sort of gauging. You've measured her, but not in a long time. Sort of yeah. roughly, yeah. yeah. And she's very tanned. She would think she was Spanish or Portuguese. She's walking down the street or something. Is she a fan of the sunbeds or is she naturally like that? No, she's naturally very yeah. tanned. Yeah. Got no idea where it's actually from, but because all of her parents are Welsh or Irish and right, both so of their parents are Welsh or Irish. But she and you've really definitely inherited this sort of like the glow. Yeah, I've got a sort of glow. I tan easily, but it's nothing compared to her. The Poe glow. Much, the Poe glow. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's nothing compared to her. And she's got shoulder length hair. It's blonde, but it would be it was brunette and just like me it would be grey if we didn't dye it no yeah no I went grey in like year 8 what like all of the like like, how is that is it like 13 yeah what but in a kind of like 
you make it sound actually quite glamorous, <laughs> like like a sort of Cruella Deville kind of like full grey hair, or no, just salt and pepper, but it very 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 salt and pepper. So this is dyed on the top, and this okay. isn't on the sides because and that's from Poe, but that's from Poe. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Ooh. Both my parents are very silver, but they didn't go grey until they were like late forties. So. Was there, very tra- was there trauma involved, Charlie? We'll get onto that, obviously. <laughs> okay, so she's a lovely short woman called, well, not short, but, you know, 5'5", five five, called Poe, who dyes her hair, which is painting a little bit of a picture. But g- g- give, give us some more for, for the reason. Um, she is a little ball of very chilled out energy, mm. I'd say. She's very relaxed, but she's always smiling and she'll make you feel very welcome. She's got this sort of authenticity about her which i don't think i have which i'm really sort of jealous of there's just sort of very natural genuine warmth Mm. and everyone who speaks to her is convinced that she loves them and they're going to be best friends is that something that you think comes naturally to her or is it like a learned behavior i think it comes naturally i mean i don't know if she learned it it was before i was born it's always felt very natural why do you think you're different in that respect i mean maybe this is just my sort of form you're gonna charm me now social media impression of you and a compliment will eke itself out of my tea but you're definitely a charming person you're definitely sort of like warm and humble but what makes you think there's a difference i get in my own head a lot about and even just the word authentic is a bit of a grim word, isn't it? It's a bit of a sort of faux Los Angeles. Like, I'm just trying to yeah. find my inner self yeah. and my yeah. truth. And stuff. So we, yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm. But I think there is a truth in that. And I think there is a, like, I'm a really bad liar. I can't lie. And not only can I not lie, even if I think there's a possibility that somebody might think I'm not telling the truth, I will then act as if I'm lying. So <laughs> I, I can't, I think this might be quite a common thing as well. I don't think I'm the only person who sort of thinks this, but it's, yeah. So in terms of a compliment, in terms of if I've just seen you in a show or something, yeah. or if I've, I can't give a genuine compliment because I'm worried that they'll be thinking, are they just complimenting me because they have to? Right. And so then I just sound really fake and inauthentic. Is it better I, to just sort of tell them how you actually feel? Because then... But I do, I do genuinely yeah. think that they've but done well. Accident. But I just can't because there's just something inside of me that goes a bit sort of... I don't know. Like, I'm trying to make fun of the fact that it's a cliche thing sure. to say a compliment. And so I end up sort of saying it a bit sarcastically, but then that just sounds like I'm saying the compliment sarcastically. And Poe sounds like a very loving woman, very doting woman. Do you think your behavior there is a reaction to that? And this, let me sort of paint a different picture. Like, some people talk about, you know, them being smothered in love. And smothered is quite an interesting word because it can be interpreted as very good, but mm. also maybe a bit overbearing. Was there an element of, her just raising you wonderfully where you sort of i don't know you bristle things like compliments and praise i'm not sure i'd never put that together i don't think so actually i think it's something that i'm trying to emulate now it's something that i'm trying to be more genuine but that's just an impossible thing isn't it to try and be more sort of warm and like that i mean it could be it's something that i've genuinely never thought about about whether that is a reaction. I mean, they are not the sort of... The thing is, she's very warm, but she's not smothering and lovely in that sort of archetypal way of that sort of lovely mother. She's quite also cynical and... Does she read the Daily Mail? She she doesn't read the Daily Mail. Oh, no. not she, actually, okay. she does. She reads the Daily Mail, she reads the Telegraph, she reads the Guardian. It's very she's, Yeah, she used to be a journalist. I see. So, you know, she's got that sort of cynical edge yeah. where she's got that sort of slightly conspiratorial cynicism, not in terms of, you know, 5G gives you COVID and right, stuff, but sure. 
just sort of like she was convinced that Zelensky was in America for the first sort of months. She's like, you know, they wouldn't, not in a sort of any sort of anti-Ukrainian oh. way, obviously, no, no, just no, in sure. sort of, oh, well, you know, actually, this is how I think the strings of power work. And I think that, you know, they'll keep him safe and they'll want to do this. That's interesting. That. So she's not a sort of, oh, darling, everything's fabulous. Yes. In a sort of, yeah. that, she's not that kind of person. She's just got a very sort of street wise but warm and sort of can turn it on kind of a glam and i guess that stems from what sounds like just a natural curiosity about the world around her and in that respect the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree you're a journalist your kind of your career in journalism is sort of blossoming is she proud of you <laughs> yes she Aww. is. She definitely is. I think it's quite a new thing i mean she's the sort of parent that would always say that she was proud of her children mm. But yeah, it is in terms of my career, I can, yeah, she now is and she wasn't before. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I have to kind of ask the question why. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's fair enough. So she's a journalist and growing up, I always loved politics and I loved psychology, sociology, anything that was sort of about people and about how the world is run and economics and just sort of how the world is put together. Yeah. Sort of all the things and, and writing and you know, a bit of broadcasty type thing. So I sort of, I knew that I had all the elements together that was sort of journalism, but I really didn't want to do what my parents did. Mm. I really didn't want to be that kid that does what their parents does. And in a sort of vain way where, you know, you worry that people will say, oh, well, he's only doing that because his parents, had, you know, got him yeah. that job or got yeah, him this yeah. job. And then there definitely is a point there about, you know, obviously parents get their kids jobs mm. and that does happen. But I think what is more relevant in kids getting jobs that their parents have is that you just grow up in this environment where you know instinctively what the job is. You know, I knew that journalism wasn't about writing beautifully and writing the best sort of essay on Shakespeare. Mm. And you know, I knew that it was about accessible writing and it was mm. about using short words, short sentences. It was about being tenacious. It was about being a little prick and, and trying to sort <laughs> of, you know, being a bit of a troublemaker and getting to the truth that somebody else doesn't want you to know. Yeah. You know I, I sort of knew in my bones what journalism was. And I didn't know what acting was. And I went to acting because it was a bit of fun. There were lots of gays there. You know, there's yes. lots of reasons why. Also a bit of an attention seeker, obviously. No, but, you... Well, <laughs> has been said. <laughs> but I didn't respect acting at all, really, mm. in, in the way that it needed to be respected, in the way that I respected and knew what Do you think that's because was. she didn't respect it? Yeah, I mean, if I'd have had... I mean, you know, there are so many acting dynasties of where their parents right. do it, and then the kid does it, and then, and I think that you do... Yeah, I definitely had a respect from journalism, because my mum did. Yeah. And I, I didn't have respect for acting because they had no idea about that world. And then, and with acting as well, like you hear all of these things like, oh, it's all about looks and it's all about luck. Mm. And if you want to believe that, you can believe that. And I did want to Is believe that. Is it all that about looks and luck? Well, no, I, I think it, it's not which necessarily all about looks. <laughs> I'm joking. I would never make you answer that question. I don't think it's necessarily all about looks. I think there's definitely an element of luck into yeah. it. But there's also an element of you've got to respect the craft and you've mm. got to treat it mm. with a reverence and you've got to really take it seriously as an art form. You need all of it. You need, you need, the, you need the luck. You Sometimes you need the looks, but you definitely need the talent and yeah. you need the 100%. respect for the craft. And I didn't have that. That was never going to work. And what role did Poe play in that pivot? 
Because there was obviously a point in your life when you was. had a realization. Yeah, yeah. So I went to drama school and you know, I'd auditioned for drama school and they were very, very supportive in acting, but they never bullshit me. So they were really supportive in terms of they would come, you know, I had do plays. I went to Bristol University and mm. I do plays there. And so they'd come up from Brighton to Bristol. There was one play we did, a, you know, Sarah Kane? Yes. Yes. We did Crave. Okay. Um, which is, it's a very sort of unscripted thing. And basically yeah. I'd been directed as this 18 year old at a university to masturbate a chair and to look at somebody in the audience when I was doing this. It's a very oh, Sarah okay. Kane sort of direction to get. And there were three people in the audience. <laughs> the only person who was in any sort of light in the first sort of six rows was my mum. <laughs> I had to spend about 20 minutes just oh, sort of masturbating a chair and looking at my mum. Oh, well, I've got two uh, questions. Yeah. The more important one was how did she react? But the other one was like, what does <laughs> masturbating a chair actually mean? I guess it was sort of a... I mean, like it's, sure it's, it's a, a slow a, stroke. Yeah, if you want yeah. to... Okay, I've got it. For the podcast. Okay, and, and just to <laughs> sort of visually describe yeah. or use words to describe, it's a slow up and down motion on a seemingly phallic object, which most things are. Gorgeous. Okay. I'd love to hear you. But how did she, yes. Like, she, how did she react? They never lied to me. And I knew that they never thought I was a good actor. And they never said, you're not a good actor. But it was always, well, that was unusual, wasn't it? <laughs> and then off they'd go. Or Lawrence was very good, wasn't he? <laughs> the stage presence that Lawrence has. Oh. Or, you know, it wasn't at all. It was, you know, it was a wanting to compliment me. It was a wanting to encourage me. But they just won't lie to me. Yeah. And so I'd always sort of known that, that was their point of view. But in a way, it sort of made me want to try even harder yeah. to sort of get that. Not this sounds very sort of small violin. I want my parents' approval sort of thing. But I mean, there is that sort of element to it. But oh, that was like, have you have you lied to them on a slight, in a completely different subject? And I guess the answer for anyone is yes. But in any sort of meaningful way, because I'm just sort of hearing you say, look, they're always straight up with you. They never lie to you. Mm. And also like, you can't lie. But there's also the reality of kind of like being a kid or sort of a young adult and maybe not wanting your parents to know everything about you, your lifestyle, your beliefs, whatever it may be. Like, has there been a little bit of that? There was a few months when I knew I was gay, for example, mm. and didn't come out. But apart from that, no, I've always been really honest That's with so my lovely. parents, even now, even the most sort of, you know, debaucherous things that one may get up to. I've always been really, really, yeah. No, it's, I'm more honest with my parents than anyone I know is. That's so lovely. Yeah, I don't think they love it all the time. No, I but they... I mean, there must be such a trust from them to you because you are so transparent, right? I think so. I think that's where I've got it from. You know, there was never ever the sense that I was going to be told off for anything. There was ever really, even as as a kid, it was... Because you were just naturally good or were they kind of very progressive no parent. i think they just had two quite hard to handle boys by yeah. that point of view okay. and they were like look we know it's going to be fine yeah. like do you, you know anything that you want to do that's a bit risky or a bit edgy like talk to us about it we're not going to tell you not to do it but like we'll help facilitate it so it's in a you know in a safer space sort of thing that any so there was never a sense that i was going to get grounded for wanting to do something that was a natural thing to want to try so, you know, I've actually got a really honest relationship with my parents. What, is, what does your relationship with Poe kind of look like now? Like, how often do you see or speak with her? Has it changed as an adult? Yeah, yeah. There was a moment, actually, where it sort of all changed for them. So it's really good, basically. My dad has got this WhatsApp group with my 
brothers and they're called the boys and they you know organize like football jollies and everything and me and my mum have got one and we go you know we go to the theater we went to see moulin rouge a couple of weeks ago we do little trips every year just me and her around europe and things so we're going to seville in september we are like so you're super super close yeah we are we're really close and like if, um, if she were a friend how would you describe that friendship fag hag <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the, but the sort of brutally honest one, and I know I know yeah. what's going when you were saying about how she's pivoted in that acting journalism yeah. sort of role is when I was a few months out of drama school and I'd been auditioning for things, and I mean every day then was horrible because getting an audition was the worst thing in the world because I didn't want to do it, mm. and not getting an audition was the worst thing in the world. Mm. And I was going back to went back to Brighton one day, and she just sat in the. And everyone in the sort of drama world is saying, just keep doing it till you're 30, keep doing it. You know, you've mm. come this far, I've got an agent and things like that. So I'd, mm. I'd sort of come, done a certain amount of hurdles. And I was like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just keep doing it, I'll just keep doing it. But every day was a nightmare. And then she was just sat in the garden and she doesn't smoke. But if she did, she'd be taking a sort of a long drag of a long Vogue cigarette, <laughs> sort of lying back and looked at me and just was like, I thought you were ambitious. And then just a sort of, not, you know. It's cutting love, tough love. Mm, yeah, yeah, cutting love, that sort of fag hag love where like, you know, <laughs> snap out of it. Like, you know, I'm going to support you. I'm going to love you. Yeah. But actually, girl, like, you know, what is the tea here? Because, you know, you're mid-20s now. You're doing fuck all. Yeah. And, and sort of what was the kind of transition period like? Was it sort of instantly you were like, right, I'm going to try this? Or was there a process of sort of self-discovery in terms of going from acting to journalism yeah. yeah so i'd done a bit of journalism before acting so after uni i had i was working as a waiter and then got fired quite quickly as a waiter i was just what did you do oh, waiting is the hardest thing it's in the entire so have you done hard. it of course it's impossible you have I don't to know all manner of people it. but it, it's all the sort of the performing bit to the, yeah. the people which i've quite liked yeah. but it was you know you've got to remember all these different table numbers and all these different rules and all these different cleaning things it's and then you've nightmare. got oh, it's just so difficult it was just i can't do it i'm just not good enough of a person because it wasn't something it. like terrible so, that you did it was just yeah i was they were just you. like yeah time yeah. to go and so that was when Theresa may called the 2017 election and the evening I, standard were looking for people are you equating you being fired from a restaurant as the cause of the 2017 general election i am indeed. it was that seismic yes okay exactly. but okay so but they, they, fine. fine so yeah. so you got a job at the standard i got a job at the standard wow. and so i was doing that for about six months mm. and then i'd got into drama school mm. and that whole thing went off okay. so i'd done a bit of journalism and i really really liked it but then it was just the fact that because i'd got into drama school i was like oh, i might as well try it so I'd done a bit of journalism before. So I sort of, I always knew at the back of my mind that if, you know, that that was going to be where I was going to go next, but I hadn't had any training in it or anything like that. So I wanted to sort of do it properly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I re it's hard memory, isn't it? Like, but I remember it being very instantaneously after she said that comment and being literally like, right, okay. No, you're like literally looking in the mirror and thinking, what are you doing? You wanted to try this. You wanted to have a go at it. Now do something that, you know you want it's to do. It's quite a power, isn't it, for a parent to have, to know their son or child so well that the delivery of a very concise but ultimately quite withering line created such a behaviour change. Yeah. And not in a kind of destructive way either. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I wonder if she knew... I think she knew what she was doing. Do you doing. think she rehearsed it? I don't In the know. mirror? <laughs> I think maybe. I think as a child, I'm going to ask her. Because I think it was so well-crafted to what would work on me. You know, if she'd have said, 
look, I don't think you should do this. Like, you're not doing anything. You know, I'd have parroted back everything I'd have heard about, yeah. no, you don't understand. Like, you just, got, you've got to do it till you're 30. You've got to da, 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 yeah, da. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's that. It was perfectly timed to play to everything that would rile me up. And it did. But it just, it made me really evaluate my life. Charlie, I want to tell you a little bit about my mom. Please. Because I'm always interested in sort of like doing a kind of mom top trumps kind of comparison. <laughs> well, I told you a little bit before we started recording the show, but you know, she's called Teresa. She's eccentric is the sort of like the generous way to put it. She raises vegan and one of the... She was raised as vegan or she's raised you as vegan? She raised me and my sister as vegan. Right. And the reason for it is so bizarre. So I'm about two and a half years older than my sister. And when my mom was pregnant with my sister, she had apparently a steak and ale pie and it made her sick. And from that, she deduced that Emma, my sister, in sort of fetal form was allergic to all meats, which when you sort of start to take it apart, you're like, this really quite is a sort of warped logic. So, but that's how kind of like vegetarianism and vegan came about. But I remember when I started big school, so like my primary school, it was so embarrassing at the time. She called a meeting, she insisted on a meeting of all of the dinner ladies who were like all these wonderful like women in their 50s back then who were called like June and Debbie and, and whatever. And they all sort of sat down and she tried to explain what a vegan was in her best way possible. And it was just falling on deaf ears. Like, so we can have cheese and no, <laughs> cheese. like it's an animal product. Well, everything's an animal product. Anyway, this is a sketch. it was a real, this oh, is... bless her. She, so I was really embarrassed as well because like I was sort of, it was kind of like this weird therapy group, but I was the subject of what everyone was discussing, where they were discussing me and the third person. Anyway, so it got to like the first day of so school. So was veganism just completely unheard of by this point? Babe, this was you? like, it must be in sort of late 80s Bradford, which for people who don't know, I mean, like, yeah, veganism was definitely a non-known quantity. So he got to the first day of school and it got to lunchtime and I was sort of intrigued and kind of excited and nervous about what they were going to serve. And what was presented to me was quite a large, clear perspex bowl, which they had named a cheese pie, except it didn't have any pie. It was just layer upon layer of different formulations of cheese. So at the bottom was like crispy cheese. Then there was grated cheese on top of melted cheese. And it was just the most disgusting thing I've ever had to the point now where I can't eat cheese. It traumatized me that much. But my mum... Was she trying to orchestrate a vegetarian meal? Was she trying to orchestrate a vegan meal and they just gave you cheese? Yes. She she was trying to orchestrate a vegan meal and failed miserably on all all counts. My mum the next day came to school and staged a one-woman protest. Oh, my God. Until the dinner ladies came and spoke with her and she had a... Yeah, exactly. Yes. She... The Greta Thunberg of cheese. She loved that. <laughs> and it worked, but like when you're five and you're starting, or five or six, however old it was, when you're starting a new school, like that takes its toll. And my question to you, there is a question here, is how would little Charlie Jones have reacted in that situation? I don't know. I was just going to ask, do you have a memory of being sort of embarrassed by that? Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. Like dying inside. Okay. Because sometimes you think sort of embarrassment and that kind of thing only comes a bit later. And as a kid, you're just like... I know. I mean, if God, if my parents do anything, it was the worst thing in the world, wasn't it, when you were kids? My mum did get a bit rebellious at some points, and it was when my brother... My parents never questioned whether I was gay, because they yeah. always thought my older brother was gay. Oh. Because he has loads of pairs of shoes, not hundreds. Now it's hundreds. Oh. He dyed his hair when he was like 10. He made, for his seventh birthday, 
he got his ears pierced by himself, or he no he got he got asked for his asked yeah, yeah, mum yeah. to take him, and they they did that. Yeah, yeah, she oh, did that bless. as a sort of as a sort of mum. <laughs> but so they were convinced that he was getting it, and he always did his hair in very sort yeah. of creative ways. Yeah, and and have you and taken inspiration from any of that? No, I'm the complete opposite. Okay. I'm rubbish at sort of fashion and shoes yeah. and anything like. They're not that bad. Come on, shoes are. I've got slightly better at the fashion, but that's because of a very a boyfriend that tried very hard. Okay. So, yeah. So then there was this one time when he would, you know, he'd, he'd gel his hair in all these creative ways and he got suspended, I think, from it. And Ooh, what did Poe do? A couple of times. And she was, you know, properly, Ooh. properly furious. It was one of, you know, two or three times when, you know, and much, sort of marched up to the head teacher and went, it's hair. For God's sake, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not, what's the problem? It's bloody hair. It's not... You know, it's nothing to do with his education. If he's so, yeah. and, she, and she, you know, she lost the battle and stuff, and and so that was that was the only sort of time that I can relate on that story. But yeah, it sounds like obviously there was a little bit of embarrassment. But was there a small part of you that was like, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I, I think I knew she was on the right, but also it wasn't about me. Like it was about my brother, so it was easier to yeah, sort of yeah. be a cheerleader for it. If it was about me, I think I'd be a bit like. I think what she should have done with the teacher is looked said teacher squarely in the eye and gone. I thought you were ambitious. <laughs> Just cut them down with the, the proven Isn't line. It? it is. It's amazing. I might use it on someone else now. I think you're ambitious. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd never like evaluated just how cutting that was until did now. You, did you do anything? This sounds like a silly question, but I'm still going to ask it. Did you do anything as a kid that you remember that like really got on her nerves? Like obviously like kids do that, but... Was there any like particular type of behavior that would really just kind of like rile her? She's always been very chilled out as a person, but we were three real bastard kids. No. Like we were chucking knives at each other, chucking scissors. Like my brother poured a kettle down me once and that was oh, when he was trying to be like water. nice of boiling water. Oh, yeah, in the, in fairness, so sorry, that, that was, was really horrible. <laughs> that was actually one of the times he was trying to be nice because he was just like joking with it. And he was like, the lid came off and it just went, <gasps> Were you okay? I am now, but no, my oh. leg was like bubbling and oh, like God. it was like. Did Poe take care of you though? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, so there was lots of sort of shouting as growing up, but we were just properly, properly mm. awful. You know, like in we got taken to a restaurant like a handful of times growing up, and each what each time it would end with you know someone standing on the table, someone like getting naked, someone screaming, you know, you effing seeing like all of like not just swearing, wow. but like. And then there'd be like weird sexual things that we'd shout in there that we'd picked up from something else and oh someone's friend. Lord. So we were like properly, properly. How did she react to all of that? She would shout as well. So, <laughs> you know, it was a very sort of... Like what level of profanity? Was it F or C or... It was F, it was C, it was everything. It wow. was everything that we'd ever heard anyone say. And like, you know, yeah, it was... She, it was she gave us what she got, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, but she was. She wouldn't do the effing in the scene. Oh, no. I'm sorry. She, well, she'd sorry. do a bit of effing. Yeah. We'd do the scene. But it was, it was a measured response. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was. So you were Russia and she was the West. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much. Don't know very, where this yes, analogy's going. Yes, but no, I was... Yeah. <sighs> but like, okay, so that's um, that's a lot. To, well, I mean, look, that's, that's kids, right? But it's, mm. it's still a lot for a human being to particularly parents deal with. I mean, she sounds like she took it in her stride and she's a fairly stress-free person. Is that yeah. the impression you have of her growing up? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Very, very chill. There was sort of a moment, I think I alluded to it earlier, there was sort of a moment that very much changed her from parent figure of three crazy kids to, you know, 
fun-loving fag hag that she is now. <laughs> but I'm not sure if she'd love that description, mm. but I think I think she'd probably be fine. Let's with roll with it. Yeah, let's roll with it. And it was her best friend dying, oh. and it sort of changed her life for the better. In if that's not too awful a thing to mm. say. Because, you know, they'd been friends from all of her life ever since she was, you know, in three or four. And it was about the time when everyone was saying YOLO. And <laughs> it was about sort of 10, 12 yeah, years ago or something. Yeah. And she very much took that to heart. And she literally heard me say YOLO once. And she was like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, it means like, you know, you only live once, like whatever, let's just do it. And, and it really, she really sort of took that phrase to heart and she'd mm. say YOLO all the time. She'd say, we've got to just YOLO it, Charlie. We've just got to YOLO it. YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. So, and she, and she really did take that to heart. So they had this business that they'd been working for the last sort of decades to create. And pretty, I mean, again, this sort of memory thing. I remember it as being overnight. It was probably stretched out over a month sure. or a year or whatever, but sold that for a pound, basically just gave it away. Wow. They'd spent, you know, a decade creating, just basically stopped saving and started spending do you think that was sort of i mean there's so many like reasons i guess but do you think part of it was she was reminded of her own mortality definitely and the value and yeah quality of life definitely definitely you know she really that really brought home to her that she could die at any moment anyone can die at any moment and actually all of these rules all of these things that we're meant to do all of these saving actually that's not the point of it and she really did change like a change as a person quite fundamentally i think Mm -hmm. overnight as i remember it and you know she was never political before and she joined a political party pretty much straight away to say which one (laughs) the women's equality party oh good for her yeah good old sandy (laughs) exactly exactly and you know she's just started doing this thing where she teaches kids in care how to cook or kids who just left care yeah how to cook and she's just there's the latest students really interesting it's somebody who was brought up in a cult which i didn't even realize there were sort of cults yeah in the southeast of england but apparently there are there must be really polite ones yeah well apparently he's very polite but he can't he's never been into a shop he's never he doesn't know how to read or write so you God. can't follow a recipe or anything like that. And she's giving all that kind of like Poe po loveliness yeah. to this kid who clearly needs it. Exactly. I oh, mean, she can't cool. really cook, so I'm not sure how <laughs> she's being. I was like, do you not want to teach him literacy or something? <laughs> like, that was your kind of withering <laughs> comment back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I thought you were more ambitious than your teacher, <laughs> mother. Um, but yeah, no, so she's teaching her to cook and, you know, she's doing all of this stuff, which is she's in a very privileged position to be mm. able to not work and to put her and she does you know goes and visits my brothers one lives in america one lives in australia and so it's a very it's not something that everyone can do obviously but it's something that really is the sort of the key moment in her life i think yeah that's wonderful and we're sort of running out of time unfortunately but i have one final question and save the world haven't you oh god what are you doing oh god doing a bit a bit of telly for the cladders for the cladding how did you get involved in that now this is the journalist asking the questions isn't it you couldn't help yourself could you i've wanted to know Uh, i will give you the full answer like later but basically i'm an affected person so my flat in east london is clad and flammable and unsellable Ours is as well, actually. Oh, is it? One that I'm staying, my flatmates is. We'll talk about this because maybe we could like, you know, help each other out. Final question. Mm. So Poe is just this little fizzle ball of loveliness. Who would play her in a biopic of her life? Julie Walters. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, I'm not sure if that's a sort of cliche common thing, if, she, if everybody feels like Julie Walters is her mum, but she's got that sort of little ball of, of warmth thing in it but also there is that touch of yeah. don't fuck with her yeah she can bring out that oh yeah sort of 
you know, that sort of Harry Potter, Molly Weasley. I was going to ask what, you, what period of Julie Walters, but yeah, yeah the latter. I think I had the Harry Potter period of all of those elements. I mean, she even actually, there was one of my brother's friends, okay, I don't want to give too much away mm. in this, but had a not great upbringing and she okay. tried to adopt him. Wow. And it, again, didn't go very well. So she sort of just stayed for the summer. So it's sort of a similar kind of... <laughs> Kind of story to that. Yeah, but no, I say that's very... I mean, does that ring... Who would you play your mum? Oh, my mum... It would have to be sort of a, a hybrid of Tilda Swinton and Meryl Streep, which I think is a very hackneyed answer. That's brilliant. But and you like, felt Tilda Swinton. Yeah, well, just because Meryl Streep can play anyone and my mum is sort of off the personality spectrum scale, so she could definitely channel that. But Charlie Dan Jones, thank you so, so much. It's been wonderful learning about little charlie and poe thank you um, for having me thank you